What's up, goofballs? Welcome back to the Bad Christian Podcast. I got to tell you about the Emory Land. If you haven't been there, it's similar to Disneyland. It's just like for adults, though. Like it's a real adult version of Disneyland, I think. But if you like emo and screamo and post-hardcore and that kind of thing. But really, Emory Land is just the member, member community where we hang out and where we're making our music, which we're doing uh, year-round now. So we're about to release Emory's second EP this year that the members of Emory Land get. So there are now eight songs that are new since our last album, Eve, came out. And, of course, the members of Emory Land have or will be getting the next batch here in the next couple of weeks. We sent a song to mix yesterday, and I'm very excited for people to hear it. But if you're not in Emory Land, you'll just have to wait till May 7th of 2020 when the whole album comes out. But if you'd be interested in, you know, being involved earlier, emorymusic.com will do the trick there. And while you're there, get a ticket to see Hawthorne Heights, Emory, and O Sleeper in California, Arizona, Texas. And that's all coming up in the next couple of weeks. Excited to hit the road. We have some of our best shows ever in both Texas and California. So with this classic screamo and hardcore lineup, I expect it to be big shows. A lot of them sold out and going to be a lot of fun. And we only get around about once a year to these places. So I hope to see you all there. Emorymusic.com. Okay. Episode today is sponsored by Quip. Quip electric toothbrushes start at just $25 and you can get your first refill pack for free when you go to getquip.com slash badchristian. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever f- talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extrovert. No, girl. It's my pleasure. I, I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Three, two, one. <laughs> it's the Bad Christian Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Happy All Wednesday, right. everybody. Yes. What's up, Toby? My son, my son, Ike, right before we started this podcast, walks by me and goes, hey, listen. And he didn't say, hey, listen. He just says, <laughs> he, kids just say stuff to you. They don't like set it up or anything no. like you know there's no context nope. or anything he just goes he says i'm really good at parkour <laughs> uh mainly on uh minecraft and he just walks away <laughs> and i was like well okay and so there's no context no nothing it's just on his mind and he's just impressed by himself or something but his version of parkour he understands what parkour is which is you know, I know it's just the jumping around and the hooting and all that, that stuff he probably understands it sides. better than you do based on yes, that description exactly yeah 100% and uh but I thought it was interesting, like, that might, parkour in video games might be valuable now, or something like being good at it, or something like, the idea, like, I mean, it's so crazy, it's like, it's so crazy, my kids love watching YouTube Minecraft videos, Mm -hmm. where somebody just plays, and sometimes they watch the German, German language guy, he speaks German only, and they're watching him, and they still are just into it. Because they know what he's doing, and it, I was like, "This is just so crazy! Like, this is just some. Jer- I don't understand a word he's saying, but they think it's either funny or entertain. It's entertaining, no matter what reason. You know what I mean? And I was just thinking, it's really crazy. Uh, he made the distinction mostly on Minecraft, but both are parkour. And I was right. like, "That's well, that's wild! Like Did the virtual right? world isn't 
There's like it's the not, blur. It's not, That's the blur. Yeah, We've been talking that about that, that, you know, virtual shopping is just shopping now, right? So parkour right. will just be parkour. And then the distinction right. of in or out of Minecraft will kind of be irrelevant, especially when right. you have better, you know, cybernetic legs and shit, too. Anyway, right? oh, like, well, like the boundary, uh, no. of course, between non-enhanced sports and enhanced sports will go away or, or like it'll be a spectrum. And then whether yeah. it's virtual or not, that'll just kind of, it'll just all be on the spectrum of things i mean the the, the world's right. going to blur together that seems really obvious oh, but it sounds 100%. like you're trying to trick me or dare me into going a rant on a rant about how <laughs> gaming is everything is a game and the gaming is the future of both education and everything in our society <laughs> i don't know why you're trying no. to lure me into such nonsense as that no matt i'm not trying to get you to do a rant about education and games. <laughs> but if i did have to say something i would think like uh, that it does lead me to believe, like, that's what I'm saying. Parkour, both, if Ike <laughs> goes outside and does some parkour moves or does it on the Minecraft, both are valuable and both he's learning something, maybe even physically with his body. Right. Which one's like, got a better me- shot at being his profession? Memory. The outdoor version or the indoor version? 100%. We know the answer to that, right? Yes. So, 100%. You know, how, what is important to encourage and not encourage. But I think the fascinating thing on games is, People take the word game. I mean, word connotations is uh, the territory that I can never get out of because I would like to be more precise. And I find people that get it wrong, they they attach themselves to the meaning of words more than they do the connotation of word more than the meaning of words. And so I'm right. always lost in that. But game is one of the biggest words where it is a under it is a the word has a connotation that that just begs for t- not be taken seriously. But yeah. I'll start with the extreme end. The whole future of civilization on the earth as it hangs in the balance of possible nuclear war, for instance. Like, if we ever get into a nuclear war or not, that, my friend, is simply a game and is best described by game theory, gamesmanship. And it turns out most of the political leaders of all time are one of their highest skills is game skill. It's like... strategic i mean that's what it is and so if you want to and that's an extreme example of what game 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 is what matters most we'll either destroy ourselves or not based on a game a game is the right word for that it's game theory that is true so there's all all kinds of games in society your employment is a game like you play the game they say don't hate the player not the game i mean there's you know that may come from sports or nba for all i know but in the workplace that is a completely valid thing you play the game it's not doesn't yep. mean it's trivial. It doesn't mean your job doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't have real feelings about your boss or whatever, but you understand that that is a game. College is a game. I mean, they're all games. Right. That doesn't mean not serious. Not at, right. It has nothing to do with not serious. When we think of a game, we think of playing Sorry or Monopoly or Minecraft. Right. Something in your leisure yeah, that you but, do. But also, right. it's converging that that obviously holds everybody's attention. It's about the most attractive possible thing in the world. Even meta content regarding games seems to be wildly attractive to our minds for not no reason. Not right. for no reason. For a right. good reason because it is whatever i mean your social circles are game you try to you know i think probably jordan peterson said this but it's like the whole idea and i'm of of your social circles and how well you do in school is to get invited to play better and better games and it doesn't matter how you win and lose it's if how you play the game which means can i play the game at a higher level like what game can i be invited to play next am i a good sport am i engaged good in conversation those are those things are playful all these things right. are playful. They're all games. And we see the technology is there. And we see that people learn unbelievable amounts in game environments because the engagement is so high. So you tell me how anything could, other than that could be the, the foundation of 
uh, and focus of what education will be. Like right now, still, yeah, we're, okay, we're playing Pong. Okay, we're playing Minecraft. Okay, we have an unbelievably addictive game that makes you learn multiplication. I mean, uh-oh, child development is now almost entirely handled by playing virtual games, and the children are more developed than you've ever imagined when we look back on it right. because of the types of engaging games that wire their brain, move them forward, give them good and bad feedback at a level way higher than a human can. Obviously, games, most important thing in the world. I'm, I'm just disappointed I mean, you didn't somehow work in a Game of Thrones. Oh, it's because I can't remember a single character's name from the show is why. <laughs> I was just trying so to pull one to... when I made that big sound. I can't think of a single name. I Brienne. know. Brienne. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll play the Brienne game if it teaches you how to John sword knows the only one I can even <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to... Game of Thrones entirely. They have another day. I was like, y'all know the blonde-headed lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be here for Halloween, and I will make a good one. Oh, yeah, you would. Yeah. No, well, not, no people, you're talking people, about the... Brienne. Oh, you're ta- I'm yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the queen. Khaleesi, is that her name? Whatever. I, I was talking about the queen. No, I won't make a good her. knight. Yeah, I can be the, the sword-fighting oh. big girl. I can be that. That could be right. there for Halloween. People say I look like her. If I put my hair back and made it kind of blonde. Yeah, oh, yeah, you do look yeah, like awesome. her for sure. Yeah, I think I can do it. But It's crazy. Yeah, I worked so hard to understand that show and... I lost, I lost it all just in two months Ever since it's gone. I forgot the whole thing. I remember that end. That's about it now. But I was not able to retain the show, unfortunately. But <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, I, I've been thinking about watching it again, but it, it, that's what's interesting to me, that you liked it so much, and it was like mm. uh, foo-foo, dragon, yeah, no, I can't. magic, I can't. and yeah, stuff like that. Which like, is why like, I don't like, play I, video games. I, don't, I can't follow saying. the wizard stuff. Right. Right. Fake skeletons coming. To, I don't care. I mean, I can't engage But it, isn't but. that interesting how you, how you view, like, I mean, you were a Christian and believed in, like, the devil and demons and all that kind that's of stuff. That's real, though. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, different. You're right. Do you know what I'm saying? That those the, the old dragon in hell's real, right? So it's just yeah, a, yeah. you know I had to be tethered to reality clearly, but <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, I don't play any video games. That's that's the truth. But that, that stuff's always hard. The tether from reality. But I do believe the games and the stuff will get closer and closer to. And it doesn't matter. Anyway, we got a guest today. It's Jacqueline Friedman. Toby, how do you explain Jacqueline? She's been on the show before. Uh, just a great personality uh i mean very informative about i mean we, we can ask her basically anything about sex. I, the thing i she is i would say i guess a sex expert an expert a sex uh, positive uh, uh yes yeah, sex positivity yeah. very pro ed, sex education and uh i mean and also a lot of a lot of different things like she just got arrested for protesting and we're going to hopefully get in talking about that but the the best thing about her is is she just has such a good strong personality but it's really caring i wish i could do that like people think when i talk i don't i don't care or i'm <laughs> mad or angry she can she can speak with authority and with confidence and also it feels like just she's just a caring person and so uh yeah we've had her on before on the show and just really appreciated everything she had to say people really loved it and so we just want to talk to her again yeah i, I have in the category of my mind of somebody who has completely different like worldview assumptions than me that I am converging in a lot more ways than I thought or ever expected to and yeah. a lot of time the people that have the opposite either upbringing or, or point of view as we, as I believe that I am converging with them they they resist me because they think something different about me like I have a weird you know what I mean like we don't yeah. we're not able to get enough people that I mean, Jacqueline's probably what you'd say is political and very left and things that a lot of those people would not even come on our show for some reason, I think is 
absurd. But she is right. so great at talking, holding tension, engaging with people. And that, you know, anyway, I, I see, I, I love it when we can get people on that hold different ideas, come from different parts and see what we can agree on now that we might not could have last year or the year before. That's the, that's the exercise to me. Yep. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. I'm getting ready to go on tour and I got to pack up everything, all my clothes and my toiletries. And I want to tell you, when you fly some of those airlines, you don't get much room or space. That's why I love my Quip electric toothbrush. Seriously. It's my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned in my life. I kind of think it's fun. It vibrates. It shakes, you know, shakes a little bit. I put it on my teeth. I love that smooth, soft vibration. It's just so fun. And it just fits right in my toiletry bag and it makes things so nice and easy. And honestly, what's really cool about Quip, it's delivered to my house. I just got my update. My new shipment of toothbrush heads is on the way, and I love it. Sensitive sonic vibrations. Man, they use the best words. For an effective clean that's gentle on your sensitive gums. And that's why, I, I mean, seriously, other toothbrushes I brush too hard, or sometimes I brush too soft, and Quip makes it so fun and easy. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes. They have a timer on this thing. It's, that's, it's just so cool. Uh, it vibrates, it stops, and lets you know exactly when and how long you've been brushing your teeth. I'm telling you, it's it's just a fun, really tech-savvy toothbrush. Um, also, there are no wires or clunky, uh, clunky charger, and it runs for three months on a single charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered. That's why I, what I said, and 75% of us use old worn out. Let me say that clearer. 75% of you and I and folks like us use old worn out bristles that are ineffective. So try out this awesome product. I, I mean, I couldn't say nicer, better stuff than I use my tooth, uh, my Quip toothbrush every single day. So $25. Quip starts at $25. If you get go to getquip.com slash badchristian right now, and you can get your first refill pack for free. First refill free. That's your first refill refill pack free at g e t q u i p dot com slash bad Christian. Use the same toothbrush. Well, not the same one, but one like mine that I use every day. Getquip dot com slash bad Christian. Have you been doing a lot of press and podcasts lately? I actually have. I wasn't for a while, and my show's on summer hiatus. But I just did call your girlfriend, and I just did. Uh, the new bitch magazine pod. I, I've been surprisingly doing a lot of these lately. That's great. I like being a guest on other people's shows. It's so much less work. Yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> I know. It's the best. It's uh, And we're already rolling, by the way, if yeah, everybody's comfortable, yeah. if y'all are rolling stuff. But I love being on other people's podcasts, too, because there's no pressure. And I know already that they want me to show out a little bit. Like, they asked me on because they like my personality or something. So here you go. You asked for it. I feel so free. Exactly. And when I do this podcast, I have to man. I feel like, oh, I'm just, you know, so presumptuous. I'm the host. It's my show. I want to talk about me. Like that, you know, that's hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I was thrilled. Well, that's what, also, yeah. I had so much fun talking to you guys last time. So 
Yeah, well, we, really, had a, we had a big response. That's what I was going to say, too. I think that's I like even uh, having you back is really fun for us because we had a great response, especially in our BC club, about just how many people really appreciate your point of view and the way, you know, just your open mindedness and all that stuff. But it, it was funny even you're talking about going on other people's show. I even watched a few like YouTubes and interviews uh, just to refresh myself of where you're at now with some stuff. And, it, and you have so much information and knowledge to bring that is. I think the people that shows you going to it's easy for them too. I really do believe that. Like I, you, it, the nicest thing in the world is when you have a guest on and you know they're they're bringing something and, and can talk and that and, and you you got all that for sure. And it's it's just so nice and it feels easy. It's not like work. So some of the people that interviewed you that I was watching it was really funny. Like I was like, how you are carrying this segment unbelievably well. So it, it's pretty cool. Well, so yeah, what should we uh, talk about today? Well, I, I wanted to start with purity culture to, you, is, is, is an area that is just kind of real interesting. I mean, there's always stuff going on in it, and I really feel the public frame shifting on that. And I think what's interesting is uh, part of what makes it good for you to be on the show is you, we come from different backgrounds and are even in different places. I think that's what feels so good is an exchange of information there and seeing how much you know, we have changed in the community we represent. They've shifted a ton on purity culture and now are way closer to a much more open-minded and, and liberal view. So it's really good to like check back in with people and go, oh, we're closer together now. We've changed. We moved a little bit here. And now some of these other ideas I used to think were scary are, are not scary. I mean, I used to be closer to an abstinence guy. And I don't, that's, that kind of stuff seems so nonsensical to me now. So that's kind of where I wanted to, to engage yeah. there. I know you've done a lot of work about sex ed and sex ed in schools. And, you know, so that, that's the topic that I'm kind of interested in to begin with. Yeah, I will talk about sex ed in schools all day long. I mean, look, just to be clear for everyone listening and so we can define terms, I am all for abstinence as a personal choice, right? That people mm-hmm. who feel like abstinence is the right call for them in whatever circumstance they're in or for whatever reasons make sense to them, are. I think that's great and they're ahead of the game because so many people I talk to don't know what they want when it comes to sex, right, and, are, and feel confused and overwhelmed. And so if you feel clear that what you want on a personal level is, is abstinence, like, I am all for that. What I'm not for is telling everybody that's the right, that, that, that's the one-size-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think, especially growing up in church, that's one of the things I've wondered, because it was taught in school the same way. The best sex is is the, to wait. You know what I mean? Like that, like, and, and now I was in elementary school in the 80s, so uh, maybe some of that has changed. I, my kids haven't really had, my oldest now Ruby is nine, and they haven't really gotten into sex education at the schools yet. I'm wondering what that will look like and what questions she'll have, but I is the underlying thing you think with with purity culture when i think of the the term purity culture i think wait till marriage cuz god wants you to like that's what i've always thought but now even thinking it and y'all are bringing up the education aspect of it that was taught kind of in school too that school the, the best sex is to wait for a partner that you're in love with most likely married to and then have sex and the and mm-hmm. if you don't uh either maybe you're a slut maybe you're, you know you're a sleaze bag maybe you're, you know you're, you're really rotten or something like that and that stuck with me i still feel that way sometimes like matt same way as you said i i think i was probably abstinence even though i, I felt like okay i, I would ha- have oral sex and then i would just ask god to forgive me i was like why am i keep why, why am i having oral sex you know why shouldn't i i'm shouldn't i be a better person why am i doing this and 
so my answer to it always was, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm weak. It was Satan. Uh, you know, maybe it was the, 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 the girl's fault that we fooled around with, you know, all the worst possible answers instead of thinking about my own sexuality, my own sexuality. That almost, was just a almost never, it, yeah. yeah that almost Stop never it. popped in my head. How crazy is that? And there's so many things that flow from that that are damaging to all of us. One is obviously the sexist ways in which that gets implemented in real life. When we talk about purity culture, what we're talking about is a fixation specifically on female virginity, right? And that yes. women are impure. And that, and oftentimes, like you said, if, if men are sexual with women or young men or boys, right, um, we, we blame the women anyway, right? We say like, oh, you, right. it's your responsibility right. not to tempt men. Men are weak. You can't expect them. It's like right. it, it all falls on women. It's about controlling women's behavior and, and blaming and stigmatizing women most of the time, which is not to say that it doesn't damage men. Obviously, you just said like you've suffered with it. But also mm. the thing that perplexes me so much is how we think we can tell young people not to even think about sex, right? Because that's the ideal for purity right. culture, right? That not only that you're not doing anything sexual, but that your thoughts Denial. are pure yeah. too, right? Which is Im literally impossible. You know, it's setting mm -hmm. everybody else up to feel bad and shameful. And when we feel bad and shameful, then we're easily controlled, right? So you can that's draw right. your own conclusions right. from that. But also... How are we suddenly supposed to be functional, healthy, sexual adults when we finally get married or whatever Rubicon it is that we're supposed to make sex okay? Like, if we're supposed to keep young people growing up in absolute purity from any sexual thoughts, and then, like, we're going to flip some light switch and then you're ready to be an actual mature adult around sex, it, we're not preparing anybody to be a good sexual citizen. Yes, yeah, no, completely no. absurd. If you frame it in those terms and it's it's uh i mean that I, you know my the way i look at parenting or child development is just so simple it's practice yes that's all it is that's what it's for i mean that's why you're interested you just there's no there's nothing else really it's not you don't have a kid to explain the rules to it and what to do that is not really what's going on it's practicing being a human until you can do it by yourself so to deny one of the most fundamental biological driving processes that is completely one of the biggest motivators of all human behavior and all advertising. and all, It's one of the hunger and sex are the, the things that drive us the most, it seems. And you have no practice of that one, the one that's going to drive, that drives you and has driven all of selection and evolution. Deny that until it's time to completely handle it professionally as a grown adult that's married. I mean, professional is not right. the right word, but that's, a, that's an absurd thought. Yeah, it's absolutely absurd. And it's, it's setting up for a lot of pain. It also sets up early marriage, right? Like we know, statistically yes. speaking, that young people who grew up in purity culture aren't more likely to abstain, but they are more likely to get married really early and have miserable marriages That's because right. they got married in order to be able to have sex and not because this is somebody that they actually thought would be a good life partner. Yeah, but Jacqueline, I know somebody that got married at 19 and they're happily married to this day. So that what you said must be invalid. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I mean, look, look, there's an exception to everything. I'm happy for them. But statistically speaking, in the aggregate, it's not a good formula for happiness, right? Like, right. There, there's you can find an exception to every rule. But on the average, 
young people who get married because they think that's the only way to legitimately have sex have unhappy. It causes a lot of marriages is the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And right. not for, not for the reasons you'd want someone to be getting married. Yeah, I've been struggling with trying to rethink this stuff because it was laid down pretty well. I mean, for me, uh, and now it's I'm thinking about through the frame of my kids, my daughters and all that stuff. And I saw a tweet yesterday that was like somebody asked, well, what is purity culture? And the guy responded. He said, "Uh, "Okay, pretty much it was somebody foreign or something that didn't know, like just wasn't sure what the evangelical term or whatever purity culture was. He said, "Okay, I'll explain it like this. At a youth group event when I was 16. They took a, the, the youth pastor took out a cup and passed it around the room and had everybody spit in, in the, the cup. cup. And then when he got done, when they got the cup done, everybody spit in it. He asked, who wants to drink this? Everybody says no. And that says, oh. and, and that's what you are if you have sex with a bunch of people. That's like, that's nobody would want to have sex with, you know, nobody will want you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is you're, really. You're that. And it's focused on the female and all that stuff, just like you said. Treating women as a commodity, right? right. Like, as, right. like exactly. that you want. A, a trophy you want the extra virgin oil pressing mm-hmm. right like a, That's right. you know like you the idea it. that like if i have sex that i'm not maybe gonna be better at it because i've had practice right like that, that yeah. i'm gonna be inherently devalued because i have experienced something is i mean honestly just deeply offensive and wrong mm-hmm. I, and it builds up a I mean, the the thing I realized is like when I got married, I was thinking the, the only words I can think of is like the finish line. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't I didn't actually have sex with anybody else but her. And, you know, it, and so I did it in a way, even though I'd had like even though I'd had oral sex a bunch of times, I'd done, uh, you know, everything but vaginal sex, basically. I it. I thought on somehow I was maintaining some relationship with my God and somehow I was respecting uh, the women I was dating by just only me performing or her performing oral sex. Like the, the, the <laughs> whole thing was, was misconstrued. About it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, but, but also oh, it, Toby's great with the mutuality of the oh, yeah. oral. I mean, well, that's well, never been a problem, but that's, what's interesting <laughs> is like there, I mean, I, 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 it set up a weird, uh, idea of what sex would be too, like oh wait, you can only you can do this stuff, but you can't do this stuff. As in, uh, and then all of a sudden you're married, and you can do anything maybe, but what? But you don't even know. You thought like, you were like, going like to get a saying, reward for waiting. Yeah, I thought. Oh man, you wait you till my, yeah, my honeymoon will have sex. Efforts, unbelievable, yeah. and and all of that. And, and it, I think there, like maybe we should even define too. Like there are good reasons not to have sex, right? There are tons like, I mean, of good reasons yeah, not to have yeah. sex, but everyone gets to define them for themselves. Right. Right. But how do you how do you frame that with a a 12 year old and they're they're horny 15 year old like when we're talking about education, how do you say like, do you tell them everything's on the table? But be careful. Like, that's that's what I'm getting at. Like, and I'm headed there now getting ready to have some conversations. And I feel like I'm already behind the eight ball a little bit. How old are your kids? But my oldest is nine. Then I got seven and a six year old. So so. no. Here's how I think about this. I think about it in terms of the individual kids' readiness. And and I think we talked last time I was on, there's a wonderful website for young people around sex, which is called scarletteen.com. Um, so like the word scarlet with E-E-N at the end. And they have on their site uh, something called a sex readiness checklist, which goes over all the things you want to think about before you decide to have partnered sex. So it's obviously different than masturbation, uh, which is a different kind of sex. Uh, But some of those things are, 
do I feel like I can talk about safer sex, right? Am I ready to, is that, does that feel super awkward to say, how are we going to be protective of each other? Do I feel ready to negotiate and pay attention to my partner around consent? Do I feel like if this person, if I have sex with this person and then they don't want to talk to me anymore, like, how am I going to take that? Am I emotionally ready to take that kind of rejection? So there's, there's like an emotional maturity question around a lot of the responsibilities that come with being sexual with another person. And the question is, is this individual person? And it's not just young people. We talk about it for young people, but all of us at different points in our lives are not ready to show up for other people like that when we've got other stuff going on mentally for ourselves. Like, that is a, just so just ridiculous how obviously simple that is if you just take it out of the realm of sex. And I never really put two and two together like that. But it'd be maybe similar to horror movie watching or ready to swim in the deep end or whatever. There's a thing I do with my kids where like if my daughter climbs a tree and she wants to get into some situation, she says, help me get down from here or help me get up here. I will say no. I say, if you can't get out of, into and out of the situation, I'm not going to help you like you need, you need to decide how far you can go up a tree and still get down. You don't need to get in a situation you can't handle. Uh, same with the horror movies. It's like some kids are going to be able to handle it. You can take a custom approach to it. Can they articulate that it's real or not real? Do they really understand? And that's a maturity thing. So with sex, if you're a horny 15-year-old boy and you can do nothing but giggle when somebody talks about sex or safe sex, you probably shouldn't be also having it. Right. Like, yeah, of course you could have sex but you don't have any of the tools and you can't even have a healthy adult conversation about it so maybe that's the barrier to why this isn't you know exactly on the other hand the message you said is something along the lines of well you define it for yourself i don't know how you tell 15 year old horny horny boy yeah you just define it for yourself how what do you do well that's why i really recommend this sex readiness checklist because it gives Mm -hmm. you a structure to talk through these questions with a young person or anybody else, honestly, or, but it also, if, if they're not going to talk about it with you, you can also say like, I want you to make sure you're ready according to this checklist, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just you decide good luck, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can give them a framework about thinking about whether they're ready. Um, but it, but the framework isn't literally what is your age and marital status, because that doesn't really tell you anything about anyone's sexual maturity. But I haven't looked at that checklist, but does it include like to actually be able to discuss it like with your parents or is it private? Like if you're a 16 year old and you feel like you're ready on the checklist, do you need to talk to your parents about it? Ooh, I don't know if that's on the checklist or not. I, I'm going to look it up, but I, I feel complicated about that because not everybody's parents are the same. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to blanket say if you're not ready to talk about this with your parents, you shouldn't have sex. If you have parents who think you're literally going to go to hell if you have sex. Yeah. Um, or if you're a queer kid yeah. and you want to have sex with somebody of the same gender and you literally like it's unsafe for you to talk to your parents about that. So I think that that is a more again, a more relationship by relationship thing, which is bringing up something that I think underlies a lot of this stuff, which is that people really crave these black and white binary rules. Mm-hmm. Right, which is, I think, oh, actually no why the purity culture appeals in some ways. Like it says, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Nobody has to think about it. <laughs> right. right. And in some, the rule. in some ways that's comforting, right? Like, oh, somebody made this decision. Life is complicated enough. Here is a, a clean answer. But Yeah, God gave the answer. How clean could it get? Exactly. Easy. 
It wasn't the experts. It's better than that. So we were pretty sure about this one is the way it's, it, it feels, you know. But in reality, sex is a human interaction and it's messy and complicated and contextual like every other human interaction. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> but, you know, the fear is really what drives it. So what do you think about, you know, like what is the deal with the – interconnection here of like the public school, like Toby said, Oh, even in public school, that's not a Christian or evangelical thing, but there's a whole lot of real lockstep with, with religious culture and federal or state. I don't know who controls sex ed, but they're, I mean, same when they do evolution in schools and intelligent design, it's like, right. They're not really separate entities. They're both outflows of the same. They should be. They should by design of our country, they should be, but they are not. not. Um, And that's for a whole bunch of reasons. You said you don't know who controls the sex ed in schools. And the answer is nobody. So the federal government makes no regulations basically about sex ed in schools. Some states have laws on the books about it. And some states have no laws and literally it goes school district by school district and sometimes classroom by classroom. Uh, and there's there's just an absolute morass. So, for example, there's something like – I mean, I may be getting these numbers slightly wrong. There's something like nine states that mandate that sex ed has to talk about LGBT students. But four of those states mandate that you can only say bad things about them. Right, you have to talk about well, LGBT students and you have to say they're wrong and bad. Uh, four states? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I I don't know what they are off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah, California, Oregon, Washington, <laughs> and New York. You got it. You nailed it, guys. So it's a total morass and there's no way of knowing what's happening in your area unless you look into it and ask. But also you don't want to make a – you know, you made jokes about blue states, but – I live in Massachusetts, which everyone thinks of as a blue, blue state, right? Mm -hmm. And our House and our Senate at the state level are run by Democrats. And we have not been able to pass a bill that we're on the fifth attempt, the ninth year of trying, that literally just says, if you teach sex ed in public schools, it has to be based in science and it has to be... LGBTQ affirming and talk about consent. Basically, it can't just be religious propaganda. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't even mandate that you have to teach sex ed. It just says, if you do, you can't teach religious propaganda that has no basis in fact. And uh, and we can't get it passed even here in Massachusetts because... Those things are hard to define, I guess, for some people, you know. Like what is propaganda and religious and what's true and and that stuff just gets, it's just so complicated. I don't think science is that hard to define. All right, before we go any further, I'm going to drop a kick-ass song on you guys. And this song is called A Voice in the Violence. And it's a single from a band that I believe you should like. It's Wolves at the Gate. They've got a new record called Eclipse coming out. and Or it is out. The album just came out this week, as in a couple days ago. And it's time to start paying attention to it if you haven't saved it or gone there on Spotify. They haven't had an album come out since 2016. So this is kind of big time. So let's check out the song a little bit more.
Okay, again, this is A Voice in the Violence, a single from Wolves at the Gate with their new record, Eclipse. This is their fourth full-length record with Solid State Records, and it's the first one since 2016. Pre-orders are still available, even though the album is out, if you like to get other things. And, of course, that supports the artists and Tooth and Nail and everything else. Wolvesatthegate.merchnow.com. They've got several different bundles to choose from over there. Follow the band's pages on Spotify and Apple Music so you can get alerts when new music comes out or whatever else is going on. So Eclipse is out now. Go dig it. I mean, you you would want to say I understand that is how people. It seems that way, but it's just. I mean, you could you know, it's just not that clear. I mean, I wish it was, and I feel that it is personally. It's just people don't agree about what's real or true or where truth comes from. And they're so suspicious of science that just don't. But they like, feel, for I don't example, know. teaching that condoms are ineffective as birth control is just factually false. It's false, but it's in a lot of abstinence-only propaganda. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it, it's literally not that complicated. But but no, yeah, but that part's not complicated. But to get people to agree about it is is that's the. So here, here's kind of why I'm interested in doing this conversation is because yeah. I, th- this is where I get really lost because as soon as it becomes political, so let's jump out of this and talk about, I don't know, firearms. That isn't an honest conversation. And that's why I don't fuck around with politics at all because that it's not it's not real and nobody's telling the truth and nobody's acting in good faith and I just can't operate in that space. I don't so think I you mean nobody. Getting, Do you mean nobody? Well, it's getting worse, but I mean for instance on the the for, uh, the second amendment stuff is the second amendment the one with the firearms? I think so. Um it's uh it's it's don't give an inch and even if there's an idea that you don't actually hold that would help move the center line of the two polar sides then you have to it's it's, it's that mentality it's not about are we having a conversation can we agree it's i'm trying to move it's like a it's a it's a hostile negotiation of trying to move the anchor point of the center by extreme tactics that are dishonest either dishonest or disingenuous or at least not in good faith i mean i think you can find people on both sides who are doing that but you can also find people who are trying to have a conversation i don't think that you they're usually not effective in politics though like if i go to try to talk politics it'll just be like huh i see where you're coming i mean everybody's just going to listen to the loud mouth pushing the you know to engage there effectively you have to be pushing like it's it just seems so agenda-based it seems pointless to I mean, I think Who's it's really funny talking. that you think you're not engaging in politics right now. Well, you know, I do think that my words and my conversations matter. But politically, I don't want them to be political. I do not want what I do to get to the realm of politics. I want it to stay in the realm of social, human, influential interactions. No, don't know what you mean by politics then. <sighs> okay. Well, then we have a good spot to, to talk here. I mean by politics that... When something goes from being like, think of uh, a political issue that is reasonable to engage 
in my opinion, is a, a, an economic issue or a, just, a, you know, a political. It should be politics should be boring, in my opinion. That politics should just be pretty boring. And some people pay attention to it because it's the level of policy and voting. And very few people really understand unintended consequence and any of that kind but of stuff. But here I am I'm talking about policy. We're trying to get a policy mm-hmm. passed here in Massachusetts. It says that you have to be able to back up your sex ed curriculum mm-hmm. with, you know, peer reviewed, credible research. And Mm -hmm. you're saying nobody can agree on facts, right? I'm saying that information is extremely important, and that conversation is extremely important. I want to go to as many people as possible, but I don't want any of those people to be thinking about politics while they're having that conversation. But what do you mean politics? All of this uh, is politics. Voting, policy, government. I don't want to – I think most influence – the most powerful and important influence is the other way around. I think it comes from art. I think it comes from social. I think it comes from interaction. And culture. Those right, are the things that I'm interested in. But if people don't translate the shifts that they experience from all that cultural stuff into voting, into calling their legislators and saying, hey, I need you to pass this policy, then we don't get any change happening. Well, people that are interested in politics and like voting and writing their congressmen can and should do that. But changing the culture upstream is, is just, I'm just saying, my, more my interest, not to get a, a vote passed or, or whatever. I, I would like to make even more fundamental cultural changes. I'm not really diminishing that some people should be involved in politics. I just wish less people were like at the real level. It should you be want like fewer C- people C- to be C- voting. Um, I want less people to be reacting with their amygdala and voting. Yes, I do. You want more people who agree with you to be voting. No, I, I don't vote. I'm not interested. Is what I'm saying. Wow. I, that, I'm not interested in that world. I am interested in changing people's opinions. I'm interested in sharing information. I'm interested in people arriving at their conclusions with the best information. And do, at the political level, above a firearms debate or an abortion debate, I don't think anybody changes their mind. I think they harden their worst stances if they engage at that level. That that's what that's. I don't want. I'm not going to participate in that type of thing. Okay. thing. I want to learn from you. I want to change my view over time. I want, I want to, to change your view about what politics is and whether you should vote. Okay. Well, I'm open to it. Go for it. <laughs> so the way, one of the ways we create a culture together, the ways we create a society together is to agree on what the rules should be. And mm-hmm. politics is the process by which we do that. You're obviously very interested in and smart about how the culture should be you're that you're very interested in that and mm-hmm. so you're missing out on a really important opportunity to shape that by opting out of the political process um yeah i, think, I don't i, 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 I don't think, maybe think matt, so. i think one thing matt's not saying too is that i don't think that he thinks the political process is trustworthy and it might seem as if it is but then it is for example i, I how about like uh the me too movement i believe it, it, uh just the idea of the Me Too movement uh, awakened an entire culture, maybe a country, not enough change or anything, but more than the government could have done. Now, public perception of, of people uh, breaking the rules, doing horrific things now, I think it, that now you're seeing the culture and the people change each other's minds as opposed to a law that said there can't be a casting couch. Like right. I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking the bigger terms of like our culture actually, it maybe actually does move people. And then the, government responds to it more than the government does something and we respond to it. Yeah, those politicians will pander to whatever the culture decides. The idea that the government is separate from you is the one that I want to disabuse you of. 
Right. So well, no, I'm just saying, but the politicians will pander to and get votes out of whatever will help them once the culture just decides right, what it cares about. But if you won't so vote, the then is. the politicians are not going to do what you want. If you if you opt out of voting, the politicians don't care about you. I'm not clear on, on what I want. Giving either, out, you know. giving away your power. So, for example, Me Too actually is changing the rules. So uh, on the House and Senate, on the federal level, they're changing the rules about um, – the way that sexual harassment claims are are handled with inside the government. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Me Too is changing the laws. But well, only because people who've been awoken by Me Too are voting and are yeah, making I themselves understood. And so yeah. if I you have process, values in, in and you're not expressing them, you're leaving that to other people to do work for you. Yes and no. I mean, I trust the process in a way. I'm not like. But I you just told me the opposite thing, which is that you don't trust the process at all, which is why you don't. Well, I don't for sure. Well, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I, I trust the process in a general way that the outcome of politics will simply be the the uh, the convergence of where poli- political pandering meets public perception or something like that. Like it's neither here nor there. It'll just go the way it goes. But how do we get it to where? The votes will go the good way. But my vote, I don't give a shit about. My hashtags will be much – a good hashtag is better than a good vote. Oh, a I, lot more effective. I couldn't disagree with you yeah. more, especially on the local level. right? On the state and local level, a vote makes an enormous difference. So it may feel infinitesimal in terms of the federal government. But what, what, what states do you live in? Well, I, I think that's a good idea. I think you're right about that as it would pertain to my property tax here in my county. Yes, I agree. Right, but, but also your really school what board talking, and what they're teaching. Outrage no, no, we're teaching, talking sex. about sex ed. And sex ed is decided on the school board level in most places. Do you know how mm-hmm. few people vote yeah, on the school great. board? No, go, yeah, go to the school board, do that. I'm, you I'm, should I'm not too. saying. You should yeah, vote that's for fine. Who's Maybe on I, the school yeah, board. I, I agree. Yeah, I'm not I'm saying that I agree that as you get closer to locality, it's it's much more. Your vote is what's more important. So do you vote yeah. in your local elections? No. I know, I, I've never voted on anything in my life. To you're be honest. throwing never away that. You're throwing away. I mean, you care about this stuff. You're having me on to talk to me for an hour, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I hope I hope it really changes culture too. And the votes land. I hope the votes go according. But I'm not too worried about my one. Is what I'm telling. You. I don't. Your I'd rather one be, matters I, I, I'd an enormous I actually think amount. of being removed from the. I don't have an agenda. I assure you. I'm just trying to get to the truth. I don't. I. I don't. I hate those parties. I hate those politicians. I would not support them. I don't like it. It, the system is beyond what I, it's, it's corrupt at a level that I'm like uncomfortable with. Democrats but or Republicans it's the to best vote we've got. for a candidate for your school board that's going to support good sex ed in your schools. Well, yeah, but I don't know what that candidate thinks about the, every other issue either. And it's, it's, I, but look, you can find, I'm, it's not that hard to find out. It really, no, I know. But what I'm saying is they all support stuff that I think is horrific and I won't support them directly. But I'm not I don't doing know that. that they do on the local level. I don't think you I, know that either. Well, I'm in Seattle, and I do pay attention to to it. I do read about it. I just don't. I, I am, It's like, to me, I'm coming from an angle where my conscience, like I want to speak about it, and I don't want to have a team, and I'm not going to have a team, and I, I won't support those people. I think they are tribal and team-like, and I just not. I feel wrong participating with that. I do want to influence people. I do want to find the truth, and I feel wrong checking this box or that box, even if I'm in total alignment with a special cause issue like sex ed. Maybe I am, but the people that support what I want on sex ed have so many other ideas that I find horrific and pandery, especially where I am in Seattle and the, the politics here. It's like, I, I mean, I wash my hands of it in a way. I'm going to find another way for me to contribute is the way that I feel about that. And on, yeah, I think the system is kind of fucked up and 
I also think it's the best we've got, and I'm, I, I do support our country and our government, and our constitution, and the, everything. I mean, I, I trust it. I wish it was a lot better, but I'm going to spend my time and effort in the other area. Does that doesn't seem right, reasonable to you? I don't think voting takes that much time and effort. I don't think that's an either or proposition. Well, you, <laughs> it, yeah, I understand. I, understand I totally the agree there. with you that I don't think our government is super great mm-hmm. and that our system is broken, basically. Although sometimes I say our system is broken and I think or it's functioning exactly as it was designed by like wealthy white guys who owned other people. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> maybe our system is functioning as intended, very, which is bad. Uh, yeah. But I don't think that we can change it without participating. Well, I think like what we're saying here, we're probably saying the same thing. I think you put more value and I think you make a great point on the local level. I do think your vote matters more. But for example, we grew up in South Carolina. Everything was red no matter what. So it didn't matter who voted what way it was going to be red, which the most surprising thing is when I moved to Seattle in 2001, it was just no matter what, everything was going to be blue. (laughs) Like it was almost like the exact same fundamentalist attitude just from coming from different points. And I felt like my vote never really mattered in that in in those areas just because no one was really going to change. Now, what I do think is changes culture and and everything is having conversations with with uh, people who are different minded about certain things. Like I think uh, like uh, us and you having this conversation, I'm sure there's a billion things we disagree on, but we're having a, a great conversation that's challenging. L- last time you came on, in fact, challenged me more than probably you'll ever realize just about sexuality and what that can mean, especially for my kids. Just like what, like what I would think of now of my kids having sex as opposed to before our conversation, I've really made it some big changes. And so that feels like the real thing that feels like the thing where, oh, okay, now my, now just in my home is changing. And then I, I might influence somebody and some, and that person might. And so then you have some real influence there. Then I think you're actually using your voice in a more effective way. And you're probably saying, and in both. Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would do whatever I could to ever keep anybody from calling me a Republican or a Democrat. I would be so upset if somebody framed me as one or the other of that. I would be so devastated. I, I wouldn't. It's not worth it to me to ever get near that. <laughs> it's the way I yeah. I'm also but, but, a registered independent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, I could be independent. I know, but I mean, whatever. I vote for the third party. It won't matter. It just doesn't. I mean, I'm just interested in other things is, is, is the way I would say it. But what I'm curious about... Uh, if it's fine to move past that, if you, if you yeah, think, yeah, you yeah. Can, I mean, look, I don't think that past. going around around this is going to, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but I do respect people that are active in politics also. And so I don't mean everybody should do what I do. So don't hear me say nobody should vote. I think, I hope, and I trust that people are politically active that care and are smart and pay attention and read way more than I do. I hope that, and I trust that, and I do believe that I'm counting on you and other people to do to do that in a way and so you can say that's me wanting other people to do work or whatever but the point is i do support political work and then that political stuff now also it becomes blurs into activism so now i think this is a whole interesting territory and i'm am curious uh of more of the other like uh you know, like you said, you handle the stuff politically. I'm very interested in the stuff you're doing at immigration. You got arrested. I mean, I want to talk about did. that. Like, I'm yeah. not against your involvement. And I mean, I'm curious about that. Yeah. I was just yeah. highlighting that I, I have a different approach and angle. And I, I want to hear more about yours. But I want to hear about you get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> That's, everyone wants to talk to me about that right now, which is fine with me. Um, yeah, I got arrested with 17 other Jews in Boston protesting 
ICE's uh, ongoing detention of immigrants coming across the southern border. Uh, it was part of a movement of Jews who've been having protests like this around the country. Uh, last week, was it last week? Time is a flat circle. Very recently, they had a huge action in D.C. where they actually secured the perimeter of the ICE building in D.C. for five hours and wouldn't let anyone in and out. And ICE had to go on lockdown, which was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, I did it because I am a Jew and because I see very clearly that the U.S. government is running concentration camps at the southern border. I do not know how you guys feel about my saying that, but it seems plain as the nose on my face to me. Uh, Oh, let's let's actually stop there. I just asked you questions. What I mean, why? What are you worried that I might think different about that? What would be the. Yeah, I don't know. What gives you pause there? People get very worked up when you say the word concentration camp. People yell at me about it all the time. So I just wanted to okay. stop and give you all a chance to okay. know how, where you're at on this issue. Well, it should be pretty easy, though. What's your definition of concentration camps and what do you intend to convey by using that word? Right. Concentration question. camps have a historical definition and they actually had one before the Holocaust. Right. So mm-hmm. it's when a population of people usually with a racial definition or an ethnic definition are being detained indefinitely in ways that have nothing to do with the criminal justice system and are mm-hmm. detained in inhumane conditions on mass. And that is literally what is happening. So my opinion then would be a really, really nuanced one, I guess, and then some real weird middle state. But I agree with that. I'm pretty sure I agree with that. However, it seems that the use of that term is intended to evoke death camp to make the thing seem more scary because it, you know, and, and correct me here, but you don't think that the goal is to concentrate more people and then exterminate them though. You don't, you don't think think that that you don't want to convey that. That was not the goal when Hitler started concentrating the Jews into camps either. I think it can get there if we don't stop it now. I don't think that is presently the intention, but I don't want to get to a place where it is. It needs to stop now before we get to that place. I think I can almost even understand that. So, but then I'm back into, I'm under Hitler's psychology now. Do you think Hitler knew that he wanted to kill Jews and like Trump wants to kill Mexicans though? Like that doesn't seem, that seems not the most uh, precise. If you look at contemporaneous coverage of Hitler in the early days of his political rise, there's all this coverage of him that says, oh, don't worry. He's just using anti-Semitism to rile up his base. He's mm-hmm. not really invested in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I did not know the man. Right? Like, I don't know at what point right. he decided he wanted to mass exterminate Jews. And it, it's entirely possible that he started just thinking they were a useful scapegoat. You know, we see this play happen over and over again in, in the rise of, of authoritarian leaders, however you want to describe it, mm-hmm. that they have to pick a powerless, relatively powerless enemy to get everybody to hate so that they don't notice that that the authoritarian is actually taking all the power. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Hitler picked the Jews and Trump has clearly picked Latinx, brown people, people, you know, and and it's literally the same playbook. We are earlier in the playbook than what we know of how the Holocaust ended, but that doesn't mean that horrific – creeping authoritarianism isn't isn't happening now and we shouldn't stop it now, right? Like I really wish for my Jewish ancestors that 
more people in Weimar, Germany had like stopped partying for a minute and protested early on and not waited and said, oh, how could we have known? They weren't too bad in the beginning. Uh, They made the economy work and the trains run on time. It wasn't none of my business. Uh, You know, I've seen this play before and I, I feel it in my bones. You've seen this play. Okay, I'm going to defend your point of view one a little bit farther, and then I'm going to ask another question that yeah. I'm unclear on the answer. You are very right about that. That like if that's your that's I understand that is your genuine point of view that there is, and I'm going to try and make it numerical. It sounds to me like you're saying, "Hey, I'm not saying that the plan here is to exterminate brown people. What I'm saying is it could be that." Or it could turn into that. And even if I think there's a 90% chance that that's not true, uh, I wish people, I mean, if a 10% chance of genocide is exceedingly high. It's terrible. So we want to just at least. And also, it doesn't have to be genocide to be horrible, right? Like (laughs) there are mass atrocities being committed against children by our I government, agree. paid for I with agree. our tax dollars, and whether or not they lead to genocide, we have to fucking stop them. Yes. You can call I, it concentration camps or not. That is what I see. I don't really want to argue about the words. I'm not saying you are, but I hear it from right. a lot of people. No, I don't. Sure. I honestly, like, if you're more interested, and I'm talking about the hypothetical you, not sure. you too, about arguing with me about the phrase concentration camp and not the mass atrocities that are being committed against children in cages right now paid for by our tax dollars, then you have a lot of things to work out with yourself ethically. Yes, now, I think that all the things that you're saying are completely unacceptable and are a problem, and they're a problem no matter what administration or who, anything. Like, that, these, the whole thing is, is super fucked up. I mean, when you look at the chill, I mean, it, that's true. So, what I'm, and I, and I agree, any way to raise awareness of or do it different or any possibility, because if, if there's anything about Trump, it's, it's he's clearly authoritarian in nature. He clearly doesn't care about what happens to other people. It may, Worse atrocities are possible if they became expedient to him. I, I believe exactly. that. Exactly. If that's it's expedient, easy to, to understand. he right. will do yeah. literally whatever. Yeah, and I agree that he has no character and he's a bad person and so whatever. But I don't think he's, I, I, you know, like has some master plan to do stuff like that. The question is, though, if we agree about that, is it, what do you think about the, the line of thinking that's saying that uh, our overreach or over-exaggeration of what he is, like saying that he's going to go kill everybody and this is concentration camps and we'll be extermination. Like, what about the line of thinking that says that's so aggressive in, in a sense that that is going to hurt the Democrats and it's going to hurt, but it's going to get Trump reelected. Who is, that is not, saying that he's going to exterminate everyone? I think the the choice of extreme language, again, as we're talking about guns or sex or even this, I'm worried that that's going to help Trump and backfire is all I'm saying. Strategically, I disagree. That, that I don't think a- concentration camps is extreme language. It is literally the correct term for what is happening at the border. Right. But all the all the MAGA people think that you're saying extermination camps. And so they react to that, to that. The MAGA people will think I'm saying extremist things if I say it is partly cloudy today. Mm-hmm. I am not trying to reach them. You don't think left overreach is a danger to getting Trump no. reelected? I think left passivity is a danger to getting Trump reelected. Mm. Tell me more about that. That's interesting. I think that there are an enormous amount of people who didn't vote and who don't vote like you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think who are decent people who see that things are bad and that yeah. 
those are the people I want to convince to come out. Like converting somebody who mainlines Fox News all day, every day is not something I'm going to be effective at. That's just not, I, it's not a priority of mine. There are way more people who are actually movable to vote. Right. But the best way to get them to vote is fear and outrage. And now the left is going to use that. That doesn't seem right to me. Like, no. like you can get more people to vote if you make them scared and you make them outraged. So if you want more people to vote, that should be the plan. I'm never going to use fear. I just morally opposed to it. I, you don't think that using concentration camps that you know conjures extermination is leaning into causing fear, though? I'm not. I mean, what I'm afraid is that the status quo will continue. Yeah. So I don't I'm expressing how I feel. Right. Like I'm telling Mm -hmm. you that I am outraged. I am sick. I and I will not stand for this being done in my name and with my tax dollars. What Mm -hmm. I'm very invested in is building community, actually, and acting Mm -hmm. from a place of love and solidarity. Like, uh, we know there was a report out today that ICE was supposed to do a roundup of 2,000 immigrants that they had identified for a mass roundup that Trump's been touting. And they've been able to bring in 35. And they say that the reason is because the communities are rallying around they're migrant neighbors. And that's what I'm for, which is love and solidarity, which is actually the power we have in the face of division and fear. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hoping is I will inspire other people to stand up together about community and, and, and standing up for people who may, we may be being taught to fear and to actually mm-hmm. to overcome that fear of the brown other coming over the border yeah. and actually show love and solidarity to them and imagine that they are you. Imagine that that is your child. Yep. Yes. I, I think that was the, that's what I think, uh, Matt, maybe this is what you're getting at too. I think the subtlety or the simplicity maybe is the better word of Trump's dialogue about things is what actually makes him effective, which is, is really scary. And it makes me feel bad about marriage. For example, Trump slides in, hey, we're just, all we're trying to do is stop the bad hombres, I think was the way he he termed it, right? Bad hombres is his term. And then that infiltrates into culture, the idea or the thoughts, especially on the right side, maybe mostly majority on the right side. Oh, well, we're just trying to keep out bad people that are going to hurt us. I want to protect everybody. And I mean, the common person goes, I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm doing all I can. And then you're telling me that somebody's coming into the country illegally, not the right way, and this, this, and this. And and they just buy into this narrative that, oh, wait a minute, everybody's bad. Oh, shallow politically. You're going to make me feel bad because kids but i didn't ask them to come here and you're you're blaming me and and so and meanwhile the the reason that that person may be actually economically insecure is because trump passed a tax cut that favors billionaires and his his billionaire buddies and takes money out of the pockets of the working poor you know like and he's cutting food stamps right it's a classic distraction mechanism which is say oh "Oh, for sure those people over there are the ones you should fear i'm helping you when in fact the reverse is true but i want to talk about illegal for a second okay so i want to be super clear obviously the children have done nothing wrong right 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 and they're also being detained in truly abusive conditions agree but put them aside for a second if we can and say that Applying for asylum is not illegal. Applying for asylum is perfectly legal. And many Mm -hmm. of these people have come here seeking asylum from horrific conditions. But let's put those aside for a second and talk about the people who have truly crossed the, the border illegally. Okay? Crossing the border illegally 
is a misdemeanor. It's a federal misdemeanor. It is literally in the same class of federal misdemeanor as running a stop sign at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. If you're telling me that they deserve whatever they get because they didn't, they broke the law, then you're also telling me that if you're driving with your child at the Pentagon and you run a stop sign, that the government has the right to take you and that child, separate you and throw you in separate concentration camps indefinitely. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm possibly yeah. give your child to foster parents you yes. know so the idea that like I, that they broke a law it, it sounds like they're like terrifying criminals but it's literally like literally like the same as running a stop sign the law that they're breaking well i was gonna say i think the the issue too though and this is what goes back to which makes me not trust the government is there aren't good answers being given it's just like it feels like it's more like hate each other like like for example if somebody hears that what you just said i i could understand uh, for example i'm from the south and my dad hears you say running a stop sign you should you would split up a mom and a kid he would go but but i'm here legally and i might have broke the law but you're you're you are defending you're not defending me you would be defending somebody from another country that you don't know what you're saying is you care about people and children and families and what they're doing isn't as crazy as Trump is making it sound, which I understand as well. But the problem I feel with all of this is the language and the lingo and the terminology we're using is meant to be divisive. The government loves it and it keeps us engaged in this stuff, which I think is the is the big distraction. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you're putting your money where your mouth is and you are literally putting your own life in, in jeopardy or your own freedom in jeopardy, which I think is super honorable and respectful. And I don't I know a lot of people wouldn't do that, maybe even including myself. I would yeah, be that's very activism, scared. scared. It was no joke as a survivor of sexual violence to like give up my bottle autonomy to like men with I guns. can't imagine it was, no, it, was imagine. it was a lot but like that's that's what we need to do for each other that's radical love for me yeah I know I agree that's what I'm saying I want I wish how do how do I convince my dad what you're saying is right because I it is you're right I it, even as a Christian or a, yeah a how, person, do you like, you, you, how you can yeah. you cannot like my I, my dad thinks oh wait a minute if you let everybody in, there'll be a terrorist and something like 9-11 will happen because he's, the fear tactics have been used. But he, my dad isn't a bad guy. He just, the, the, like Matt said, the scary stuff works. Yeah. It makes the my dad go, oh, wait. Really yeah. working. And look, yeah. I don't have all the answers. Like if I knew the answer sure. to that, I'd sure. be running a political consulting company or something. But right. uh, here's what I think. One, I mean, part of it, I actually think that you have a power I don't have, which is that you're familiar with the Bible in a way that I'm not, especially the New Testament, right? But it seems right. to me, I'm a Jew, what do I know? But it seems to me that Jesus would have done what I did at the very... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think so oh. too. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Well, so I don't know, well, the yeah. thing that I don't understand is how your dad can love Jesus and fo- think of himself as a follower of Jesus and hate immigrants because Jesus is very clear on this matter. I, I think it's kind of easy to understand how, and I don't mean that to disagree with you. I'm just looking at it from a different point of view. I, I no, think it's, it's a real very curiosity to, for me as an outsider. Well, t- well, see if this answer rings true then. Yeah. Then. He has an extremely cartoon, ridiculous view of immigrants and all that, that he actually possesses because it was instilled in him fearfully and he's internalized it and doesn't even know but that he possesses a very cartoon understanding of that. I also believe it possesses a ridiculously cartoon understanding of who Jesus is. So it's just too, it's just incredible immaturity. 
because the, all you all he, he mm-hmm. or any average person is not an activist or a deep scholar or somebody that focuses. They just get that's all they get. They just get manipulated by the government, the culture, the social media, the outrage, the political party, their local church. They just get the reduced bullshit. It's the opposite of taking a kid, teaching them about sex, seeing if they're ready, getting them like that whole thing where you customize to a person. Well, we don't do that. We're just overrun by fear, domination, structures. You're evangelical. You're Democrat. You're on the board. You're, and you just, he's a working guy. He doesn't have time to know if, if his fears are legitimate. He's just scared. And he's been told Jesus is good and that's bad. And that's about all he had time for. And it's like a nine-year-old maybe. Yeah, but as far as he can go with is. like protest, like for, as far as he could probably even go is, wait a minute, you, you were blocking my way on the way to work. I got to be at yeah, work at 7 a.m. Why do you, you don't care about me. You're just trying to stop me from working. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay, keep my head above water or something like that. Now, if you could inform him, if he could see what, how that, you know, what you're doing, if he could go to the border, see the children, see the families, he'd probably be brought to tears. Yeah, he, I believe yeah, that. I know sure. my dad well enough. And, and that would, but that's what I'm saying. It's so effective, the simplicity of Trump's message. And it's so, it, this feels so sick to say. It's almost welcoming as safety. Wait a minute. I don't, I, we're not trying to hurt kids and families. We don't, don't come here. I'm trying to protect all of America, red, blue, whatever. You know, and that's, that's Trump's underlying message. And it's so effective. And it's really scary because what we are, we end up missing is everything that actually is real and not cartoonish. What you're saying isn't cartoonish. It's real. It's horrific. It's sad. And I'm, I, I'm, I do think the most effective thing, how, how can we get real answers? Like, I don't know if the either side really can like the Democrats, it seems like want to hate uh, Trump and he's terrible at the border. The red, the Republicans go, yeah, we got to have border safety. And nobody's really saying anything that's going to make it better. I mean, we have really, uh, really bad situation. And I don't, I mean, what do you, like, right now, what do you think the answer is? The government says, okay, we'll give uh, those families a better housing. Like, I mean, you know, like it's so complicated. Like if, if, if government changed something right now, just, just, just the, the border problem alone, do you, do you have any effective ideas of like what would improve? I mean, I got I know, so many. I know that's a huge question. I got so many things I want to say, some of which are the answer to that question and some of which I want to loop back around to actually talking about sex ed, which is relevant to this conversation. I, promise. I like it. Yeah. I think that we could go back to not criminalizing these people, right? The same way that we don't criminalize people who run a stop sign at the Pentagon, right? You issue a citation and you ask them to come to court and you don't hold them at all. And that was actually working for the long period of our history. And we see, statistically speaking, that immigrants are actually less likely to commit crimes than people who are natural born U.S. citizens, right? So the idea that that's inviting crime is actually just not true. It's not factual. Um, We know that actually the vast majority of terrorism that's happened on U.S. soil in the last few years is white supremacist terrorism. So we have to look at realistically, we don't have to be holding these people. Holding these people is literally just torturing them. Um, Well, what should we do with, but we turn, what would we do with them other than hold them though? We issue them a citation if they've done any something illegal. For the people who've uh, come to apply for asylum, we process their asylum claims the way that they're supposed to be processed. And if someone has crossed the border illegally, we give them a citation in order to appear in court to answer for it the same we would if we mm-hmm. if you ran a stop sign at the Pentagon. That is right. what we should do. And we should also get real about the fact that the reason that all these people are fleeing is because their countries are 
in great chaos and, and get real about actually trying to help these countries instead of force them to sign to, to do things that they're not capable of doing and, and sort of threaten them with tariffs if they don't toe the Trump line. So that's my answer to what we should be doing on the border in the very shortest amount of time. Obviously, it's a very complicated discussion, and I'm not yeah. an expert, but that's the very basic baseline. But I want to say... Well- a bigger thing. But, what? But you know, if the question came about open borders, people act like all the Democrats want open borders, but they will say, no, that's not what we want. But again, what, well, or is that what we need or what, no. what, what, where's the, like, yeah, we process them, we give them a citation and then we send them back South. I mean, what do we do if, if they denied asylum? I mean, what do we do? Yeah. What do, we do? You just turn those kids around and point them back to Honduras? If we just not, yeah, I mean, we need better asylum laws. We certainly don't need Trump's asylum laws, but if they, yeah are not qualified to qualify for asylum. Look, we have to fit the, the immigration fi- system overall is a, it needs a giant overhaul. And I am not an immigration policy expert, so I can't help you with the big view of that. But at the very right. least, there's no reason for us to be t- detaining these people. Right. So to me, that's activists need to work on human rights and atrocities with their full force. Uh, but the political discussion on what's a good border policy is a whole just not even that's like a that's a whole different thing. I mean, I will say, and I know you hate the parties, but many of the Democrats who are currently running for president have very interesting and robust uh, proposals for what immigration policy should be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you can find them on their websites and they talk about them in the press. It doesn't get covered very much, but there is an actual robust debate happening inside Democratic politics about what good immigration policy should be. And there's disagreement among people, among Democrats, about what good immigration policy should look like. Um, so it's not like this is not being worked on. It's just not being covered because it doesn't, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. Right. No, of course. That's, that's the right. problem. Right. I think one yeah. of the things we haven't talked about here, we talked a lot about politicians, but we haven't talked a lot about journalism. So, yeah. They're, they're part and parcel to the problem. I, I think less bad than politicians. I think there's bad. a lot of great journalists out there and I know a lot of them, but I think that overall the media corporations that control what we see on the nightly news um, and, you know, on the front page of our local newspapers are making decisions based on what we'll sell, which they need Mm -hmm. to do to stay in business. And, you know, and then I'm going to descend into a capitalist critique, which we probably don't have time for. Um, But I do, I desperately (laughs) want to come back around to talking about your dad. And I don't mean to put him on the spot, but I think that this is a really useful and instructive question. Um, Okay. So I think that there are two answers. I want to answer it at two different levels. One is that one of the most powerful things you can do, because he is your dad, is try to have that complex conversation with him. And maybe you do. I'm not suggesting you don't. But, like, I think a lot of times we write the people in our families off because it's hard. It's so painful. And I want to validate that. It is hard and painful. And I have... Trump voters in my family too. Like I, uh, mm-hmm. I, and I just want to yell at them like, you're a Jew. Like, what are you doing? But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but that's not helpful. Right. But that when there are people who we actually have influence with, like asking them to engage with us, to at least hear us and not coming at them in accusatory ways, but actually trying to sort of get curious about where they're coming from and seeing if you can find points of agreement. Like, yeah, 
it is terrible that the economy is so unstable. I agree with you that you work harder than you should have to to support yourself or you should have been able to retire by now or whatever it is, right, that they resent immigrants for. Like, that resentment is probably real. It's just the target is misplaced, right? And so Mm -hmm. starting from places of agreement and, and having those hard conversations is something that all of us can do with the people in our lives as a way of doing that culture change that you're talking about doing. But the bigger answer, which comes back to sex ed, is the desperate need for us to teach emotional literacy to the next generation and especially the next generation of men. I like that. And that one of the things that a real comprehensive sex ed curriculum does is starts in early grades. And every time you talk about starting sex ed in early grades, someone will say you want to teach blowjobs to kindergartners. And that's not what I mean. Right. But talking about healthy touch and boundary setting and consent, but also accepting rejection, right? If, if you say, can I hug you? And that person says, I don't want you to, that you don't then shove that oh, person, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. that, that learning emotional literacy and learning to say, just because I'm afraid doesn't mean someone should pay, right? Like, to, you know, just because my feelings are hurt doesn't mean that person is bad. Like, you, you, learning to engage our emotions and not fear and shut down our emotions actually could get us out of a lot of this mess and could get us around that fear. I think the people who are most vulnerable to the kind of fear mongering that you're talking about, that the Trump administration absolutely derives power from, are the kind of people who have not learned to interrogate their feelings, right? And have not learned to say, that's right. Okay. I'm going to sit in this uncomfortable feeling and think about where it's coming from and what it actually means and are just sort of operating on that instinctual level and never got emotional education. And that Mm -hmm. is actually one of the most powerful things that comes along with good sex ed that we keep refusing to teach in most of our public schools. There, I brought it all home. And I love that too, because that's a whole nother box, but that's terrific because, you know, it's, it's, it's a not an uncaring approach for, for men and masculinity who are going to face some difficulty in the coming times. It's very clear. So it's not just that they're bad. It's like, how can we help them to have the tools as they grow up healthier? Because it's, obviously that's the need they have needs more than just blame i would say i mean certainly plenty of both to go around but you know and i also think there's a point worth pointing out that if we got to engage in conversations with people like toby's dad who's (gasps) a very very normal person by the way that we if we're going to get there that means we have to understand that he probably actually has some other knowledge and intuitions and life experience that we probably don't get and need from him right right But not maybe not on the kids in the cages. That that one we hope to win him over. But we have to admit that those people must know something we don't know that's real. Also, well, that's why I'm saying you start by listening to what the what what's at the root of the concern. So, like, what is the concern under the concern? So, yeah, it's a, this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. So, this is going to set us off on a different tangent, and I don't know how long you want to go. But uh, last year. Like uh, two days after the final vote on the Kavanaugh confirmation, I was in Nebraska giving a talk uh, in Lincoln at the university there. And it turned out, this was not planned, but it turned out that mostly the audience was dominated by like a bunch of guys in several fraternities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was expecting a more of a mixed audience. That's what it turned out. That's fine. I talk to guys all the time about this stuff. As you know, I talk to you guys, right? Like, uh, but they got 
everyone, including me, was very riled up from the protracted Kavanaugh fight. And they couldn't stop talking about false rape allegations and their fear that, like, someone was going to lie about them and ruin their life. And I was so raw and emotional at that point that I mostly just wanted to, like, rip off my own head and throw it at them, right? I was not at my best. Uh, And I did my best and did all the sort of debunking I always do about factually how rare false rape allegations are and actually mostly they don't name it. You know, I did all the sort of, like, actual answers to their question, and it didn't help anybody, at least not in the moment, right? Like, nobody seemed convinced. And afterwards, I was thinking that I really should have answered the question under their question, right? The root question, which is, I feel vulnerable, right? Like, I feel vulnerable. And that's something we can all relate to, right? And if I had been able to relate to them on an emotional level and say, I see that you feel vulnerable, and I also feel vulnerable, and we feel vulnerable for different reasons that seem in opposition, but I bet we can find a way to make a bridge, right? Like that, that might have been a much more productive conversation. And I should just say my own defense. I have more productive conversations with groups of men all the time, but that was not my finest hour. Well, Um, yeah, you, you, you're terrific at this. You have a lot of ability to sit in tension, hold many things. That's that, that's very clear, but we come from the world of evangelicalism where you're supposed to evangelize and go convert people. And so we're very sensitive when we, you know, like from my view, it's like, okay, if you're going to engage in a conversation because you want to change somebody's opinion about anything, politics, God, anything, it is false unless you understand that you're willing to change too. If you like, I want to go change this person because I think he needs to know something different. It, there's no conversation unless I'm actually open to him changing me and coming out the conversation the other way or on a different matter. You know, that's what it takes. And politics and the contentious activist type things are, it's really hard to get that, but you're correct. If you can get to how we're both vulnerable, how we both have problems that we need to solve together, that's, we have to be able to get there, but it can't be people showing up with answers to tell people facts. You, that's right. Facts are are so much less convincing than we ever think they are. I I would like to live in a world where facts are convincing, but I don't live in that world. But so (laughs) like if your dad may be leading with those immigrants are coming to make America less safe, you know, the question that I have is like, well, what is it that you feel you're like, what are your vulnerabilities? Like, what are, what are the actual fears? Like, let's talk and, and sit with him about, and make it, make it clear that you take his fears seriously even if you disagree with who he's blaming for them. And I think that's a really wonderful way of having these tough conversations. Toby, you think he'll be down to the podcast next week and we can have that conversation? Our podcast is the most liberal left-wing podcast he could he ever could imagine. imagine. Like way, Does he my listen? Think, yeah, my, no. No. Lord, he, he doesn't hardly know what a podcast is, but he, he thinks I am. I mean, I'm a... I, he thinks probably Obama's conservative compared to me. <laughs> so I, he thinks like we're he, crazy, I'm sure. Yeah, know. he thinks we're out there. And he, I mean, he's right in some instances, but in this, I think you're right. That That is a really good point. Meeting somebody where, you know, what is the real underlying thing there? I think you're right. Like my dad, there, there probably is underlying that he would immediately, if you asked him about children and protecting them he would say yes of course families breaking them apart no way you shouldn't do that if you said certain things but 
if you present so if you presented it in one way, he would 100 percent agree with you and the other way he wouldn't. And the problem is that that political line, that evangelical line, that Christian line, all of that just gets it mucks it up and gets in the way of a real answer. Because, I mean, I've sat with him a bunch of times and talked to him. We I mean, we've had some questions. I mean, we've had some serious knockdown. OK, a huge knockdown drag out one is basically kind of about immigration, which would be the wall. And we had a, you know, an hour long discussion and I tried to stay calm and keep everything together and just say, listen, I understand. My point was I was trying to say, I understand protecting the border. Maybe every country in the world or there, there should be some protections on the border. I'm, I'm 100 percent for that the right way, because if you're doing our border the right way, that means people are being better taken care of. That means bad guys don't get in all of that stuff, everything. There should be some a good, healthy way I said, but I just don't, I don't understand this wall thing. That doesn't make much sense. And he couldn't get past that because the wall was presented so strongly and so well by, if you will, the strongman character, which Trump plays up. He plays the strongman that's going to protect you. He knows about money. He knows about power. He knows about kicking ass. And that feels like America in a way. And that American dream, all that stuff's bad. The brokest con man in the world. Oh, one hundred percent. But I mean, he is just a salesman in a way. I mean, yes. so he can sell. He can sell the brand thing really well, which is is just it, it's just it, it's really disgusting. And that's what I'm I'm hoping. I wonder. I do wonder the political landscape of this next election. What is going to look like? I mean, it's going to be almost. Uh, it will be the most watched thing ever. Yeah. Maybe that, like, I find I, that I, troubling. I mean, yeah, it's already making me sick to my stomach. Honestly. Um, I know. I because it's clear that Trump is going to get even more deeply authoritarian because he can't run this time around on empty promises of what he'll do when he's president because we know that he didn't do any of those things, right? So he's he seems to be doubling down on the fear mongering mm-hmm. and the us versus them stuff so hard, uh, and and I don't know. I mean, like, look, you guys have said you're not that engaged in politics. I am very engaged in political conversations and there are 100 opinions about the best way to beat him and nobody actually knows the answer, right? Everybody has a different take. And one day I'm convinced by one thing and one day I'm, you know, like, I I don't know. Um, But, and yet it is so high stakes, right? Yeah, to to me the biggest danger, and this is, I'm not trying to fit my whole position, but just to color a little bit more is, that this whole thing sounds like it's like Toby just said, it's going to be the most watched thing. And that is not a good thing. In my opinion, that is not good. That just means we're replacing college football with this. And we're bringing the same tribal energy of rivalry and hate. Like I'll hate my rival football team. That's, that's where that that's healthy there. I agree with you. That's got a limit on it. If we take that into the mainstream thing, that's a disaster. The journalists, have some control over that and they refuse to control it right if you if you cover this election like a sports competition which is what they do what they're that's what i'm saying that's what we're doing that's negative to me but attention is not inherently negative like if it were if it were if the attention was about policy and impact right if the attention was about humans you know yeah then the ratings would go back down to nerds that like policy and that'd be fine with me i don't want everybody i don't want more of these people to vote. They don't know what they're talking about. They just want to get riled up and cheer for their team. I don't want them involved. I think the sports, the horse race coverage is very damaging. It's very yeah. damaging. I mean, that's what the media wants. Like they, I mean, you know how the, they make a lot of money on sports. Well, this, this pays better and there's more people yeah. and we, we can get, it's like the world cup every day or whatever, you know, it's the Super Bowl every day. Of course we want people to act like sports fans about the politics. Good. Get everybody right. I mean, that's the thing I find damaging. 
And the world's watching this time more than ever, too. Yeah, and that's the not, rest of the I mean, good, like, I it, it, well, <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. I, I do think we need that. What I believe is we need another candidate that keeps things simple and says, this is what I'm going to do. You know, like that. I think that is what it maybe that is what Trump, Trump's biggest strong point is. He goes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to build. He like just says, wall, wall, wall over and over and over and over, uh, you know, says or, or something. He just repeats stuff over and over and it just gets stuck in the cultural lingo, even if it's comedy. I mean, it, it, Saturday Night Live loves that Trump is the president. It's the greatest ratings, best thing that's happened to them in probably decades or something like that. And so the problem is it it is entertaining, but it's also our real life here. So we have to do something. It, it's, it's super real what, life. Like the the rabbi's house in my town got lit on fire twice in a week last month. Oh, Lord. And I live in, again. I yeah. can't stress enough. I live in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's super real life. And people are really losing sight of that, that that this is incitement to violence, what he's doing. I agree that what the Dems need, and none of us identify as Dems, but we acknowledge that if someone's going to beat Trump, it's going to be a Democrat, right? Right. And what the Dems need is someone who make people feel something emotionally and not just make people think. Um. That, because that's right. what Trump is good at, is galvanizing people emotionally. And so that's one of the things I'm looking for in a candidate to support in the primary is like, who's, who makes people feel inspired? Who makes people come together? Who makes people want to show up and be our best selves? And not just who's like, I don't know, got off a good zinger on a debate stage, you know, like, uh, and, and so, and, and, and people are going to have different answers to that. Again, people in my life are just all arguing about this right now. Like who should it be and what's the right tactic? But this is, I think why, when you say, Oh, if we say, you know, you know, concentration camps or whatever the term is on the left, isn't that going to alienate Trump voters? Like I actually think that someone galvanizing on the left is what we need. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I believe that as well. And uh, the the funniest thing or not the funny, the most, one of the most interesting things I, I ever could have imagined was, we had eight years of Obama, who was basically just there. There was no, there, it was just so smooth. I mean, you might disagree with his policies, you might not like his policies, but I'm saying as far I as a president, he deported a ton of people, right? He, yeah, oh, he yeah, ran yeah, ice yeah. pretty good but, too. But I, yeah. It, oh yeah, right. But I'm saying I, my my point would be as far as a personality, I guess maybe yeah, policies, some of the things that he did, of course. But I'm saying it, it is so interesting. We, I mean. Married kids, seem, seemingly also, no controversy. The thing he has in common with Trump is he makes people feel. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, and, and so it was a great time. <laughs> and then we followed up that presidency with this. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre to it's go from the, our first black president, you know, our, our, our literally no personal controversy or any. You can maybe disagreed with what he thought the country should do, but it wasn't morally ambiguous right. or bad. He had you literally know what I mean? no scandals. No. Yes, exactly. Right. No scandals or anything. And then we come to a president that just it, sexually Christians go, well, you know, boys will be boys or so, you know, like that. The whole world is changing. So that I know we're running out of time now, but and I didn't even get to my question. So we consider you a friend of the show. I, ho- I hope you consider. We'll we'll uh, yeah, we'd like to have you back because I would love to get into the idea of how Trump and the president has even changed sexuality. Like the way, I, like in some ways I've been thinking like in some ways, uh, Me Too movement and, and, and more communication has happened. But at the same time, I think uh, people are viewing Sex yep. even even harder. 
It's the or best of more times and the worst or of times in, in my field, yeah. for sure. I also would love to come back anytime. I love talking to you guys because also I don't talk to people who come from where you come from that often. Like, this is actually really great for me also. Um, I, I really love talking to you. Uh, well, really you're awesome. That. You have your book is called Unscrewed. You have a, a podcast that I didn't know about and I just started listening to it. It's great as well called Unscrewed. Jacqueline Freeman. Uh, we really do. And you can go to JacquelineFriedman.com, right? That's that your website correct. as well? Yeah. Yep. So you can find her there. We love having you on. Thank you for joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me anytime. Okay. Well, okay. I got one little plan here and that is <laughs> I didn't mean to get pinned into having to defend myself about not voting, but so, <laughs> but I really think that's an important part of it because it's like, you know, I, I hope that it's clear what I'm saying, but I'm going to propose a new rule. To get registered to vote, you had to watch 100 hours of C-SPAN, and then you were qualified to vote. <laughs> and anybody wants to can and should. <laughs> I have tried to watch CSM before, and it was because you like politics and you know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Watching C-SPAN to me is like uh, looking at the inside of a soundboard. <laughs> I know, because you don't like <laughs> politics is why. <laughs> you're not but, that is, but you're making a good point. Uh, like, th- th- I didn't want to say this, though. That Jacqueline really believes what she says. Like she, yeah. she, she, that is so genuine, and it makes me, it's compelling, because it she believes voting changes things and you must and mm-hmm. she believes it with every fiber of her being which really is a, a powerful tool that's what i'm saying the interaction with her for me means is means everything like that's if, right yeah if somebody on the you know tv go tonight we are going to talk like you know whatever i when I, that's what i mentioned when i saw an interview with her there was a lady that talked like this and said now jacqueline you've spoken about sex oh yeah, i was like why is this stopped. woman talking yeah. to jacqueline and then jacqueline just just talked and it was so un, uh, relatable i understood what she was saying she was making great points and this other person's going now right. here, Get <laughs> <out of> here. <laughs> she laughed one time at jacqueline jacqueline made a great joke she goes <laughs> moving forward and i was like that, that that's the politician fake thing that's presenting something that i don't Me, even know what yeah, it is it, yeah. here's the real thing and it's so it's so valuable so valuable but yeah uh, and i i give credit to anybody that can uh that enjoys uh talking to you and not she doesn't get mad like it's fun and it's it's like a uh, spicy conversation and it's it's good and, and I do cons- consider her a friend of the show so it was great having her back for sure. Yep, I enjoyed it very much and that was I mean I thought that was quite long in a in a way that I was quite engaged. I looked down and saw that the time had gone where it went. So we won't right. keep you guys any longer, but I will thank the people that make it all possible. And when I say that, I mean it. Max Loth, Cody Donaldson, Adriana E. Spencer, Evan Warden, Azrael Rus- Rescindas, Rescindas, Billy Hobbs, Brandon Duvaith, Brianna Kingsley, Samantha Davis, Legacy Pastor Sucka, Legacy <laughs> Pastor Sucka from the, I would love to know the name of his church. Yeah, I would too. Thank you guys for joining the BC Club. You can join us yesterday and the day before and tomorrow and the next day for what we call the Daily Dose, which is the you know, yeah. the raw, unfiltered version of this podcast where we just kind of like have conversation and say whatever comes to our mind, which is kind of like this podcast, but more oh, yeah. that way. Oh, more, yeah. A little, oh, little yeah. bit oh. more personal, a little bit darker here and there. A little oh, bit yeah. Wilder sometimes. So, you uh-huh. know. But this is the real, the, the Bad Christian podcast essentially is the ultra cleaned up version of me and Toby, and Joey and Revo. This is us at our best behavior. 
But if you want to see us at our normal behavior, it's a little closer to the daily dose, which is still pretty good behavior overall. Yeah. But if you know us in real life, then you can get to the real the real bad behavior. Like in one day, no. you know, we'll hang out somewhere and you will see, you will see how dark it really is and how even our talking on this is just some version of a broadcaster making an act. This is all an act. <laughs> our real self is much worse, I assure you. This yeah, is our we, best. We, this is putting on our Sunday best just to go do the pod. <laughs> yeah. Matt doesn't even play guitar. <laughs> it has been a lie. Everything's been a lie. <laughs> see y'all.